Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, let's go ahead and start, guys. I hope uh, people that are here are here. I thought of a Latin word today that you might see in real life, uh, and you might know what it means, and then again, you might not. And that's the Latin word emeritus. Has anyone ever heard of that? Yes, I have. Professor emeritus. Okay. It means what? If you see uh, that, a professor emeritus, does that mean he's a, a butt kicker? Does that mean he's a hardworking man? What's it mean? means he's an honor. He's retired, I think. It means fired. he's retired. Yes, okay. that's exactly. It means retired. It really means, the word really means veteran. Like he's okay. a veteran professor, but it's, it's used today to mean retired. And you, if it's no. a woman, like if she's a woman professor, you'd say emerita. Oh. Whereas if it's a male, you'd say emeritus. And I think you see mm-hmm. emeritus more often. Maybe people don't know to say emerita if it's a woman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think mostly it is used of professors, although I suppose you could say she, he's an emeritus teacher or teacher emeritus or whatever. Uh, he's a he's a uh, government worker emeritus. It's just a way of saying retired. And you might see that word someday. So just in case you ever do, you'll know what it means. I wanted to review our prefixes a little bit. Uh, we, we went over these two weeks ago uh, and we haven't done anything with them. Many of them you probably know. We had gone over ob, ops or ah. What does ah, ob, ops or ah mean? Anyone remember? Um, from. Um, from. 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 And can you think of an English word from it? Abstain. Abstain. <laughs> Abstain means to hold yourself from. Yep. To hold yourself back from something. Um, Oops, sorry. That was in the notes. I was trying to give you something that wasn't from the notes, but that's okay. <laughs> well, that's all right. At least okay. you're looking at your notes. Um, yes. But um, uh, uh, abhorrent. Abhor, abnormal, uh, all those words. Oh, I was supposed to look up abdomen, wasn't I? And I didn't. Well, I will. Um, and the opposite of ob is odd, A-D, toward. What about abdicate? Yep. Abdicate okay, yeah. to, 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 take, to take yourself off the throne, to give up the yeah. throne. Okay. Yeah. There's a good all example. Right. Odd means the opposite, to or toward. And we get things like advocate, adhere announce, adjacent, um, and probably other words that I'm not thinking of, but uh, it means to or toward. Ante, A-N-T-E, that is, before, and we get the word antecedent, something that comes before is an antecedent. We get the word, the phrase antebellum, before the Civil War, and we get the word anteroom. I really should have given you the Greek prefix that sometimes is confused with A-N-T-E, and that is A-N-T-I, which means against. Um, And so, like, you remember when we were in school, the word we all wanted to know how to spell was anti-disestablishmentarianism. And we could spell that word a mile a minute. We had no idea what it meant, but we could spell it. Um, (laughs) And, of course, the anti in that word means against. 
Uh, you're against disestablishing something. <laughs> so anyway, um, so don't get anti and anti mixed up. Um, I was trying to think of a word using anti, and I can't. There's a million of them, but uh, right offhand, I can't think of one. And mm, I'll think of it. I'll, I'll think about antithesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Antithesis is one. Sure. Antimony um, or. Yeah, I think that would be two. What you just said, anti. What's the difference between anti-disestablishmentarianism and the other things you're talking about with anti? Oh, nothing. Well, no. it, well, anti is before this one. I'm talking about is anti. Anti. It's the one that anti-disestablishmentarianism comes from. Yeah. Okay. Bene. Bene means well. Benefactor. Someone that does well. Benevolent, someone who hopes that things will turn out well. Benefit, beneficent. Um, and by the way, the opposite of, of uh, benevolent is malevolent, wishing evil for. By bis, twice, two, bicycle, uh, bisect, to cut into two, biannual and biennial. Remember we talked about that? The other week, what's the difference between a biannual report and a biennial report? Biannual is every two years and biennial is twice a year. That's exactly That's right. right. Yeah. Okay. Um, circum, around, things like circumference, things like circumnavigate, to sail around, circumstances, things that surround you in your life. Things that stand around you. You know the word stow. It comes from that plus the circum. Uh, <laughs> cone, with, together. Get the word convoke. If you convoke a meeting, you call it together. Uh, collect really comes from this because coom changes to coal before the L to make it. It's, it's too hard to say collect. So they say collect. Uh, commotion. Correct, convene, all those words uh, come from this. Now, any comments or questions on prefixes? We'll get a few more of them next week. Uh, they're not too hard, I don't think. All right, I want to talk about a new case. Now, remember in Latin so far we've had, what cases of nouns have we had so far? What nominative case? and nominative accusative. And accusative. Nominative and accusative. The nominative is used for what? Subject, Subject. or predicate nominative. Subject like uh, she is here. That's a subject. So that's the nominative. And the predicate nominative is what comes after the word is. Right. She is a girl. Girl would be nominative, not accusative, because it's not an action verb. It's a verb of being. So if you have a verb of being, the thing that comes after the verb of being is in the nominative, and that's called the predicate nominative. And that's why it's correct in English to say, if someone calls up and says, uh, is Carla there? Her real answer should be, it is I, not it is me. Even though uh, in English, we're used to saying it's me. We're used to saying that, but the correct answer is really it is I. Okay, well, today we get another case, the ablative case. And that word ablative really says it all. That word means the take away from case. So it's a case that has to do with 
motion from, motion away from. That's not all it is. It actually has three basic uses, and that is motion from, motion on at rest, and um, and um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I think uh, I can't remember the third one. Uh, motion from, motion on, oh, and motion with, like what instrument did, did something. So those three are the basic ideas. But I've tried to give you kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of a very difficult case. This case probably has more uses than any of them. And I tried to come up with the ones I thought would be the most common ones. Uh, when it's used by itself, it can mean by means of. So whenever you see it by itself, it can mean by means of a something. Now, it's not too hard to form. Uh, if you have a first declension, first declension nouns end in what in the nominative? A. 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 So all you do to make the ablative singular is put a long A. Now, this is one time where you've got to know the long mark. You've got to know to put the long mark in. This is one time we make you put the long mark. Because if you don't, it makes the difference whether it's nominative or ablative. Um, and so if you write, uh, if you take the word that I gave you, sagita, which means an arrow. If you write sagita, that just means arrow. If you write sagita, that means by means of an arrow. Okay. And so to... Make the plural, drop the A, and add I-S, sagittis, by means of arrows. All right? So long A, long I-S. Now, second declension, take off the U-S and add O. Or if it ends in E-R, like, for example, agar or puer, take off the E-R and find out what the accusative is doing. If the accusative is with the E-N, then just take, the, just take the M off the accusative singular and add the O, and you'll be right. So, serwis, serwo, puer, puero, uh, agar, agro. And the plural, take off the O and add IS. And that's all there is to it. Okay? Now, and the word that I give you, what did I give you for that? Wait a minute. I gave you... Uh, I gave you, uh, I gave you kibbus, kibbus, kibum, kibbo, and then in the plural, kibbi, kibos, kibis. If you do the whole table, so first declension, it's ah, um, ah, and the plural, I, as, is, ah, um, ah, I, as, is, and the second declension, it's us, um, o, e, os, is. Okay. Third declension. It's a hard one because it changes. Find out what the accusative is and simply drop the M and you got the ablative singular. So lapis, lapidem, ablative is lapide, meaning stone. And in the plural, lapides, lapides, lapidibus. So you take off the ES and add IBUS. Lapidibus. That's kind of hard to say. The accent changes a little bit when you put that ibus ending on lop so lapis lapidem lapide lapides lapides lapidibus is the uh, third declension 
Fourth declension, not too hard. Take that U.S. It's going to end in U.S. And when you make the ablative, you just drop the S. And it is a long U, but I don't care about the long mark on this one that much because it really doesn't matter. You're not going to confuse it with anything else. So morsus, morsum, morsu, bite. Plural, morsus, morsus, morsibus. Uh, and then the last one, the fifth declension, deace, day. And by the way, this word deace is a very funny word because most of the time in fifth declension, by the way, I'm sorry, I didn't put a space between the singular deace and the plural deace. I apologize for that. But uh, anyway, deace is a funny word because it normally, most, most fifth declension nouns are, mass, are feminine. Deace is masculine, except under one circumstance, and that is in the expression "dea constituta," which means on the appointed day. Don't ask me why. I I don't know why. Mostly, deace is masculine, except in that one expression when it becomes feminine. Okay, so deace. DM, DA, just drop the M and you got the E, and then the plural, DAs, DAs, DAs. So, not too hard to form. Not too hard to form. But let's look at the uses. First of all, there's without a preposition and with prepositions. Without a preposition means, it's called the ablative of means. It means by means of or by what instrument, with what instrument did I do something? And I give you the example, lupum lapide necat. He kills the wolf with a stone. That is by means of a stone. All right. Notice that in Latin, we use no preposition at all. But in English, we say with a. Uh. But in Latin, you don't have to put a word for with. It's built right in to the ablative. All right. Number two, time when. When you want to tell when something happened or within which time something happens, you use the ablative. And no preposition is used in Latin, but in English, you do use a preposition. And these expressions always have a time word in them, like summer, winter, day, year, month, something like that. Uh, okay, and I give you some examples. Aestate in summer. Notice there's no word for in in Latin, but in English, that's what it means in summer. Hieme in winter. Were in spring. Autumno in the fall. Hoc tempore at this time. Iloano that year. Die constituta on the appointed day. There's our expression. Um, Diebus. Oh, there's a mistake here, by the way, guys. There's a mistake. That should say diebus constitutis. Diebus constitutis within the appointed days. I'll fix that next week. Die constituta on a certain day. Uh, I'm sorry, die certo on a certain day. Uh, and those are examples of ablative of time when. Now, some ablatives do take prepositions. And one is the ablative of accompaniment. Oh, uh, no, let's do place from which first. Place from which. The ablative is used to tell from what place a person is going. And it uses the prepositions ah, ob, de, or a, or x. Ah, ob means from. 
And you use ob if the next word begins with a vowel, and you use ah if the next word begins with a consonant. So it's easier to say, for example, it's easier to say ab insula than a insula. It works like a and an. And a and x is the same way. A and x means out of or from. It's easier to say exagris, out of the fields, than aagris. De equo, down from the horse. That word day also can mean about, too, by the way. Akasa, from the house. And uh, so that's called the ablative of place from which. And the reason they give them these stupid names is it helps you to categorize them a little bit. It helps you to categorize these usages so that when you see them in a sentence, you can say, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Okay, ablative of accompaniment. The word accompaniment <coughs> comes right from this. So this uses the preposition coon, and it means with, and it always refers either to a person or an animate noun. It answers the question with whom, and it's always with an animate object. Animals, by the way, are considered as animate objects. <coughs> so kumkane, with the dog. Think of it as with, along with. You can't leave the preposition out in Latin. It's got to be there. Kumatre, with mother. All right. Then you have ablative of manner. This is a lot like ablative of accompaniment. The difference is that this ablative uses abstract nouns, not concrete nouns. And it means doing something with care, with industry. You can almost translate it like an adverb. It's called ablative of manner. Now, here are some examples of it. Now, do I expect you guys to remember all this, by the way? No, but I'm giving it to you so that when we read a story in a week or two, you'll be able to at least uh, you'll be able to at least say, oh, I know what that is. Kumkura with care, carefully. And you also if you if you if you have an adjective, you can leave the preposition out. So you can say magna kumkura or just magna kura with great care, very carefully. This is where your cum laude, um, cum laude, magna cum laude, summa cum laude, those are all ablatives of manner. With praise, with great praise, with highest praise. Cum industria, with energy, energetically. And so this ablative answers the question, how something. That's why they call it manner. In what manner are you doing whatever it is? And then I just give you some prepositions. Most prepositions. No preposition, and by the way, what is a preposition? What is a preposition? Preposition is something like um, in front of and back of, um, on, under. Oh, it's a word that shows relationship. Relationship, yeah. Some it's kind of relationship, yeah. When I was a kid, we learned prepositions in sixth grade. There was a commercial on TV for cigarettes. And it used to go over, under, around, and through. Some of you might remember that. And that's how our sixth grade class remember what prepositions were. We just said, it's like that commercial, over, under, around, and through. Words like that are prepositions. Now, in English, you never use a preposition with the nominative case. You never say, come with I. You say what? Come with me. You never say, he did that without, he did that without he. No, you say he did that without him. 
Okay, so in English, we never use the nominative case for prepositions, and we never do in Latin either. You never use the nominative. It'll either be accusative or ablative. And right now, these prepositions that I've just given you are only taking the ablative. And notice they're all, all of them are either motion on, in other words, they're, they're showing you something being at rest, or they're place from which. I always like to say that the, the prepositions that take the accusative are butt kick prepositions. They're prepositions that do something. They're moving. They're doing something. They're, they're affecting something. Where these ablative prepositions are kind of wimpy. Uh, they don't really do anything. They stand still. They stay in one place. Or if they go somewhere, they go from. So you have pry in front of. In English, that becomes pre, by the way. Pro on behalf of or for, and sine, without, in, meaning in or on, and sub, meaning under. And so all these prepositions, plus cum, plus ah, de, and x, all those prepositions take the ablative. Now, we have an exercise. We're not going to do all these exercises today, but I thought we'd do one or two of them just to, just to give you a little practice. So in this first prep uh, exercise, letter A, we're going to give you a word in the nominative, and then we're going to give you a preposition. And all you have to do is change the sentence by adding the preposition and putting the word that was in the nominative in the ablative. And if it's singular, you're going to use ablative singular. And if it's plural, you're going to use the ablative plural. So, famina. So, how, what would I do if I have the word coom? How would I make that an ablative phrase? Femina. Yep. No. Femina. With the woman. Okay, cum femina, good. What if I have femini, sine? Women, without women? Yep, without women. And what do I have to do to femini? Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Ablative plural, feminis, sine feminis, without oh. women. Let's do one more. Agni, meaning lambs. I want uh, lambs. I want to say with the lambs. Cum. Uh, cum agnem. No. no. Cum agno. Agnis. No. Agnis. Agnis. Plural. Oh. See, because agni is plural. Uh, it would be agno if it were singular. Oh. All right. Oh. Well, you get the idea. Now, let's look at letter B. We have another exercise here. We're just going to translate these sentences and tell me what kind of ablative you have. First sentence is Lucius cum dawo. In agris laborat. Lucius cum dawo in agris laborat. What would that sentence mean? He's working in the field. Yep. Lucius is working in the field. In the fields. In cum the fields. dawo. Cum with was, something. With, da, with Davis. Remember, Davis is one of the characters in our oh, story. He yeah, was a slave. All right, so Lucius cum dawo in agris laborat. Lucius is working in the field with dawis. And cum dawo is ablative of accompaniment, and in agris is ablative of place in which. All right, and I'll leave the rest of these for you guys to do if you want to this week. And uh, don't forget, the, 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 these all come, these are all based on your characters in your story. So the story we read last week, uh, if you see names, that's who it is. That's what we're doing. We're basing all these sentences on, on those characters that were in your story. All right, let's look at these Christmas carols again.
And I added a few new ones today in today's notes. By the way, Carla, I will. I told them um, before you got on, I will very much try to get these notes out a little sooner. Uh, I think it's a good idea. Uh, it's a good idea for me, too, actually. Um, trouble with this class is I never quite make up my mind what I'm doing until Monday. In fact, maybe not even till Tuesday. I keep thinking, what am I going to teach this week? Am I going to do this or am I going to do this or am I going to do this? or Because I'm using, I don't have a book that I'm using for this class. It's all sort of in my head and I'm figuring out uh, what the best way is to do. It. So maybe you guys someday I'll write a book based on this class. You never know what will happen. Anyway, um, let's see if we can sing uh, Silence Night, Silent Night. And we're going to remember mute when you sing so you won't uh, so we won't all be singing in different rhythms like Ninette and I were a while ago. Um, so remember, C. Lane's Noakes, we're going to sing it in Catholic pronunciation, right? C. Lane's Noakes, Sancta Noakes, Placida, Lucida, Verginem. At puerum dolcem atque tenerum somno oprime. Okay, see if we can sing this. Ready? Silens nox, santa nox, placida, lucida, virginem at puerum. Dolcem atque tenerum, somno oprime, somno oprime. That song, it's a funny song. It's a very simple song. It was written to be played on a guitar. But the interesting thing about it, I think it's got a, a, a wider range than any other Christmas carol. You got to watch where you start singing it because you might get too high on it, uh, as I did. All right. Um, by the way, here's a trivia question about Silent Night, which most of you know probably the answer to. Tell me what machine broke down and caused the writing of Silent Night. It was the organ. Yep. Okay. It was, it the, was organ the organ the church, and they wanted to find something that could be sung without the organ. And That's right. You're exactly right. The mice had gotten into the bellows and eaten them up, and they had to find something that could be done simply. It yes. uh, wasn't quite as complicated as what they would have played on the organ. So, yes, that's exactly. And, of course, I guess it's one of the best love Christmas carols ever written, in a way. All right. Now we're coming to one written in Latin originally. 1400s, I think this was written. Adeste fideles. Adeste fideles, leti triumphantes, venite, venite in Bethlehem, natum videte, regem angelorum, venite adoremus, venite adoremus, venite adoremus, dominum. Okay, let's try. Adeste fideles, leti triumphantes, venite, venite in Bethlehem. Natum videte, regem angelorum, venite adoremus, venite adoremus, venite adoremus, dominum. 
Very good. Okay. I don't think last week we did. We might have. Did we do Joy to the World last week? Let's try it this week. It's pretty nice. Now, we're going to do it in Catholic pronunciation again, so it's going to be a little different pronunciation than you're, than you're used to. Laetissimus acipiat yamundus dominum. So, laetissimus acipiat yamundus dominum. Dum omnia in corda nos acipimus illum, acipimus illum, acip, acipimus illum. Okay. Okay. Um, so here we go. Latissimus achipiat, Yamundus dominum, Dum omnia in cordanos, Achipimus illum, Achipimus illum, Achip, Achipimus illum. Here's one we did not do last week. But it's a, my students used to like this one. It's kind of short. It's kind of fast. And that is, God rest you, merry gentlemen. It says, salvete leite comites. Salvete leite comites. Nihil vos terreat. Nam Jesus Christus natus est, ud omnes redimat. Et in satane semitas errantes reducat. O nuntium gratissimum, gratissimum, o nuntium gratissimum. I think we had this on our notes last week, but we didn't sing it. Uh, by the way, you got two people's names in this song. In this song. You got Jesus, you got uh, Jesus Christus. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Yep. And who is, Sat who is Satane? Satan. Satan. Right. Exactly. Okay, so here we go. Uh, let me see. Salve te leti comites nihil vos terreat, nam Jesus Christus natus estut omnes redimat, et in satane semitas errantes reducat, o nuntium gratissimum, gratissimum, o nuntium gratissimum. There we go. Now, Jingle Bells, we did last week, uh, this version. We're going to do another version of it today, but we're going to do this version again. So let's try this one. Remember, it goes, Niwes glacies, nox pueritia, resus decet, nung decant carmina, letos uat, nosire per agros, traha fer velo chiter, et con chinemus nos you have to forgive me I'm, I'm getting used to this catholic thing too i used to mostly uh teach this in roman latin but i think it's a good chance for you to to learn the catholic system and so that's the reason we're doing it okay so it goes nives glacies nux pueritia resus decet nun decen carmina letos you what no sire peragros Traha fert wello chiteret conchinamus nos tinia tinia tintina balum labimorin glacie post mulum cordum tinia tinia tintina balum labimorin glacie post mulum cordum. Remember, that's the funny one we said uh, 
means behind a short mule. <laughs> um, now, let's look at another version of Jingle Bells. Remember, these, these, these songs are just translated by some Latin teacher. And some of them did it one way and some of them did it another. And this version, instead of saying teniat, this version goes tinnitus, tinnitus. Now, that word tinnitus is a word you might see in uh, your doctor's office or somewhere. Do you know what tinnitus means? Ringing in the ears. Yep, that's what it is. In oh. this song, it means simply ring, ringing, 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 something like that. So let's look at the chorus first. The chorus is tinnitus, tinnitus, semper tinnitus. Pretty easy, huh? Uh, ringing, ringing, always ringing. O tantum es gaudium, dum wehimus in traha. Oh, how great is the joy while we are carried in the sleigh. And then again, tenetus, tenetus, semper tenetus, o tantum es gaudium, dum wehimus in traha. Traha is a funny word. It means a slave. So let's see if we can sing this, just the chorus. Tenetus, tenetus, semper tenetus, O tantum ascaldium dum wehimus in traha, tenitus, tenitus, semper tenitus, O tantum ascaldium dum wehimor in traha. <laughs> That's the only thing I don't like about that one is it, it's a little, um, it's just not quite as uh, perfect. Okay. And uh, uh, let's just uh, see how the verse goes. Nantes per niways. In aperta traha, transagros imus omnes redent omnes redentes tentini tentinant, meaning the bells ring. Animose seek lightissime nos conimus conticum hoc nocte. All right, that's a little tricky. Let's see if we can do it's a little tricky. Let's see if we can do this. Nantes per ni ways in aperta traha, transa grossimus, omnes redentes, ten, let me see, ten tini ten tenant, animose seek, lightissime nos canimus canticum hoc nocte. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you can tell I haven't taught this as much as I did the other. Animose seek, lightissime nos that's what you have to do. You have to put them together. Oh, tenitus, tenitus, semper tenitus. Oh, tantum escaldium dum wehemur intra. Ha, tenitus, tenitus, semper tenitus. Oh, tantum escaldium dum wehemur intra. Ha. There we go. <laughs> One more. One more. Silver bells. My, my kids used to like this one. Now, in this one, they sometimes put parentheses around words that you're supposed to slur uh, to make the rhythm come out right. So, for example, it says we I, but don't say we I, say we I, we impigri. We impigri. Just pretend that AE doesn't exist. And they did that to make it easier to pronounce. They do that in Latin poetry all the time. It's called elision. But anyway, this says, Orbis VA, V impigre, ut est fere is, a consensu nativitas tempus, nativi dent multi eunt, 
resum post, resum dant, et in omne via audits. Here's the chorus. Campane argentee dies Christi est nunc in orbe. Ha, ha, hey, ha, ha, hey. That's like ring-a-ling. Mox erit dies Christi. By the way, there's how you say Christmas. Dies Christi, the day of Christ. Dies Christi. All right, so it goes. Let's see if we can sing this a little harder. Let's see if we can sing this. Orbis vie, vie impigre, utmos est fere is, et consensu nati vitas tempus, nati riden, multi eunt, resum post, resum don, et in omni via eldis, campane, argentee, Dies Christi est nunc in urbe. Ha, ha, hey, ha, ha, hey. Moxerit dies Christi. All right. So that'll uh, give you something to hum along with this week. And uh, next week, I might bring a couple more in. But next week, we're going to do Gaudete. I'm going to bring that in because Greg has been interested in that one. And uh, I'll let you guys... Uh, find recordings of it anybody have any questions on these christmas carols that we were just singing i just liked um since you know i teach the french and the spanish it's so much fun to trace you know that uh company argent you know the silver argent you know comes yep yep yep, yep. campane and campana in spanish right, and i just right. have more fun with that yep yeah you would you would you would um because there are a lot of relationships. Nativitas tempus, uh, that word nativitas, you might have noticed, that's like our English word nativity. Um, and the, the word tempus means time. So like nativitas tempus means like time of nativity, something nativity. like that. Oh, yeah. Some of these, uh, what's that? No, I just said, oh, yeah, time yeah. of nativity. And then the, the French of all the Romance languages is the most removed, you know. Yeah, yep. it, it is. It uh, is. The spelling, the French is what screwed up the English spelling, too, of some of these words. Um, like in English, it. the spelling is different sometimes. Like convoke, we were talking about a while ago, convoke yep. a meeting. Why is it V-O-K-E and not V-O-C? It's because of French. Yeah. Somehow. French got in there and changed. On the other hand, Carla, all the weird preterites are because of the weird Latin verbs uh, in the perfect tense. You know, like pousse and yes. soupe and uh, some of those. That's all because of Latin. And it's funny. It's a combination of the era, the, um, you know, the Moors messed up the Spanish and the Anglos and the Saxons and the Germanic tribes messed up the French. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Them all from the Latin. That's, that's wow. true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's right. So is there so I'm still having a hard time understanding all these cases and different the the, the parlate, whatever. Is there would it be better to look at some of those resources you mentioned, like on Bookshare, the Latin for dummies and you would could it wouldn't hurt you. You could. Okay. Um, the trouble is the way I'm doing it is goofy. I mean, I'm trying not to overwhelm you guys too much. But at right. the same time, I'm trying to give you something you can hold on to, you know, sort of. Yeah. So you might like to look at another book uh, just to get the hang. But basically what we said today, the nominative is the subject. The accusative is the object. And this ablative is it's kind of a prepositional case. Uh, 
um, that's that's all you've got. Now, what probably gets you too is the endings. And really, when you do this once a week, I mean, it would be like trying to learn English by going to listen to your mother talk once a week. You know, you'd never have got if if all you did was listen to somebody talk once a week, you never would have learned English. Uh, and so the thing you could do is try to look over this a little bit every day, even if you only spend five minutes. I, I tell my students that, too, and I, that's what I try to do with these yeah. notes. Well, that's why I love my Duolingo app, because I do get exercises. You know, I'm working on French and I started back from the beginning because it's been so long since I took it. But, you know, just, yeah, doing so I know I need to do try to do the same thing with the Latin. And another thing, when you're trying to learn something new, like I'm trying to learn the Mac and I've pretty well got it mastered now. And I'm also reviewing my Greek like crazy because I want to really get as good in it as I am in Latin. But I find it sometimes you get to a point where. You just can't do something. You just can't do it. It won't come. You're not getting it. Best thing to do is walk away from it. Just say um, it germinates. Let- then it it simmers. It's yep, like it does. Soup pot. That's what I tell my students. And sometimes when we're in a complicated thing, I'll give them a break from it, and then we come back, and, and yep. it comes to them. Yep. Yep. That's that's true. Because and then come back to it when you're fresh, like maybe the next day or. Uh, something like that. And it it really does go better. Almost always it goes better. And even if it doesn't go better, you feel better about it. So, uh, so that's the thing I would say. Um, But, you know, we, we should be thinking a little bit about what can we do? I can go on with this course for maybe, Oh, I don't know, 12 more weeks or something. Gary, just so that, you know, we're at 442. Oh, thank you very much. You're more than welcome. Um, you know, think about what you want to do from here. I can do, I can do, I can go as long as you guys want. I wish we could find, I wish we could find a book that everybody could get that would be something like on Bard or Bookshare or something, but there just doesn't seem to be one. Now there is that Latin for dummies and that you could look at that because it, it kind of boils everything down. Um, it kind of boiled, my kids used to like that book in school if they were having trouble one one boy was having trouble he went and got that he said that's really good i really put it all together for me so uh you could look at that and uh have we decided what we're gonna if we're gonna meet the week between christmas and oh, new year's no you missed that i don't think you had got on no we're not going to meet between christmas and new year's but okay. we will meet next week okay uh it, it, how do you all feel will you come if i meet next week did most I, people no, come? I, can, if we I, I, I would come. Yeah. Yes. yes. Sure. Okay. Then we'll meet, next yes, week. we'll meet next week. We'll meet next week. We'll do Christmas carols. We'll do, you know, different things. Something kind of fun. But we'll look at this ablative case a little bit. Maybe do a few more prefixes. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what we can do. Uh, Ninette really liked the story that we did last week. So I might try to do... Uh, might try to come up with another story. Some of y'all seem to like that. Yeah, that, that was so. fun. So we'll see what we can do. Thank you. I, I'm sorry I'm always late, but I get home from school. Well, you're a hardworking girl, Carl. Yeah. We can't hold that against you. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about the Iliad. We had started last week to talk about the Iliad. Uh, and remember we said that the Iliad is written by whom, supposedly? 
Who wrote the Iliad? Homer. Homer. And I always say he's the first blind man to ever make good because he's supposed to have been a blind man. And he's supposed to have been a poet. And he wrote the uh, Iliad. Now, truthfully, we don't really know if there was such a person. Uh, it may be that these stories were handed down and then someone put them together in the form that we have them. Whether that was a guy that actually wrote them or what, we don't know. And there's a lot of, there are some differences between the Iliad and the Odyssey, which Homer also wrote, that make you think that maybe the same guy didn't write them both. For example, in the Iliad, there's no mention of writing. In the Odyssey, there is writing. In the Iliad, there's no mention of, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say it that way. In the Iliad, when they give you, when you have a feast, they always put the meat on a spit and roast it over a fire. In the Odyssey, they cook the meat in kettles. And that, that means technology has progressed because cooking meat in a kettle saves energy. You don't have to use as much wood as you have to use when you cook meat on a spit. So there's some little differences like that between the two poems that you can see. It seems that the Odyssey may have been written a bit later or at least in, in a different time. Civilization has, has come forward a bit maybe. But anyway, um, it's not an eyewitness account, remember, because the Trojan War took place, what, somewhere around 1150 B.C. The Iliad was written somewhere around 7-something B.C. So, um, uh, you know, this isn't an eyewitness account. It's really st stories handed down, uh, which are being told. Um, another thing that's kind of strange if you read the Iliad, um, you'll notice that one of the things that happens in the Iliad, you have these warriors and they're driving in these chariots and they go out to battle in these chariots. Uh, you know what a chariot is, right? What is a chariot? It's a Roman wagon, kind of like. Okay, yes, it's a Roman wagon-like, or, well, the Romans weren't the only ones to use them. In the ancient world, they were like the tanks. They were like the tanks right. of the ancient world. Yeah. But how did you ride in a chariot? You sat in the seat, didn't you? And then the horse would pull, the horses would pull you? You're right about the horses, but you stood. You stood in a chariot and rode, okay? Oh, okay. And the purpose of a chariot, Really, in the ancient world, the purpose of a chariot was it was a modern day. It was an ancient tank. You went out in battle. If you could run over your enemies with the chariot, you would. If you could run over their horses or whatever, you would. And if you had a chariot and your other people you're fighting didn't, you were at a, you were at a very great advantage because you have wheels and you can run over people and stuff with them. Okay, now, in the ancient world, if you remember in the Bible, the story of Deborah, uh, you know, in that story, the Jews are scared to death of the guy that has all these chariots because he can take these chariots and womp up on them. I mean, he can tear them up and they know that. And he's been very successful with his chariots, except that in the story of Deborah, a rainstorm comes along and the chariots get stuck in the mud and can't move. And so then the Jews are able to defeat them. So chariots aren't much good if they get stuck in the mud. Well, I'm saying all that to say that in the Iliad, you have a very odd thing. You have people going out to battle in chariots, riding in chariots. But when they get out to battle, guess what they do? They get out of the chariot and fight on land.
it's almost like whoever wrote this book, whoever wrote the Iliad, knew that people used to fight in chariots. But he had forgotten the fact that the chariots could be maneuvered and could actually be a weapon of war. And so he has them like taxi cabs. They just take the guys out to battle. They get out and they fight. And that's all. So it's kind of funny. You know, it's like, well, we know they use chariots, but we've forgotten how they actually use them. It would be like if someone was writing a story about war today and they talk about getting in a tank and going out and all of a sudden they stop the tank. Everybody gets out, fights (laughs) single combat. Uh, that would be absurd. I mean, and, that, and this is the same way. So that just gives you an idea. It's like they, they, they're telling these stories, but they have forgotten in, the to- in this time that it has been lost or they have forgotten how that you could actually use a chariot as a fighting weapon. And in this story, they're not used as fighting weapons. They're just used as taxi cab. But anyway, uh, you remember that there was a quarrel. And this is the beginning of the Iliad. By the way, the theme of the Iliad is wrath. The very first word of the poem is the word wrath, that baleful wrath that sent many a good man down to Hades. And so the theme of the Iliad is Achilles' anger and what that anger causes to happen. Okay, now the story starts right in the middle of the story. Remember, he doesn't tell you anything about the causes of the war. He doesn't tell you what uh, what happened, uh, wh- wh- who Helen was, or why the Trojans and Greeks are fighting. He just takes you right in the middle of the story, and you, you're introduced into a scene. And we, we started to talk about this last week. There was a plague. There was COVID. COVID was raging in the Greek camp. All these Greek guys are dying. And finally, they call a council of the leaders, and they say, if we don't do something, if we don't do something to vaccinate these guys against this COVID, we're going to lose all our men. Of course, in those days, they didn't have vaccinations. But what they did, they said, we're going to find out what calls. What is it that's causing this plague that we're having? And so the Greek seer, the Greek prophet, whose name is Colchis, says, I can tell you why this plague is falling. And it has nothing to do with the Chinese. I can tell you why you're having COVID. But I'm afraid to tell you. Because I might offend somebody. And Achilles says, even if you defend Agamemnon, I will defend you if you speak up and tell us what's causing this plague. And so he basically says, well, it's Agamemnon's fault. Because this, you know, these Greeks all had women. They all had captured women at some point in the the war. And they all had these women. Agamemnon had a woman named Chryseis. And this woman, her father was a priest of Apollo, and he came to ransom his daughter. He came to buy her, to pay for Agamemnon to set her free so he could take her back home. And, uh, but Agamemnon refused to accept the ransom, and he also talked very rudely to the man. He basically said, get out of here. I don't even want to see you hanging around here. If I see you hanging around here, I'll kill you. Well, that made the man very mad, so he went off and prayed to Apollo. And Apollo then caused the plague, which is killing the Greeks. And so Colchis says, if you want this plague to stop, Agamemnon has to give this girl back without a ransom, and he has to give her back. Uh, So Agamemnon says, well, okay, I'll give her back. But if I give her back, one of you guys got to give me your woman. 
because it wouldn't be right for me to have none. And uh, so if I give her back, you got to give me yours. And they all get kind of uh, Achilles gets really angry with this and says, that's not right. I'm not going to do that. But Agamemnon says, since you run in your mouth so much, I'll tell you what, I'm taking yours. Achilles says, okay, you take mine and I won't fight anymore. And so Agamemnon keeps his word. He comes to Achilles tent, takes his girl that he's got away, takes her to his tent. And Achilles says, okay, I'm not going to fight. And he prays to his mother. His mother is a goddess, a minor goddess. It was their wedding that started this whole thing in the first place. And asks her to help the Trojans and to make the Greeks lose. And so she goes and asks Zeus if he will make sure that the Trojans win and the Greeks lose to honor her son. Now, Zeus is in a terrible position. He can't do that because his wife's going to bust him one if he does. His wife wants the Greeks to win. But he says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So when Achilles' mother leaves, his wife says, I know what she wants. She wants you to help the Trojans. And he basically has to threaten to beat his wife. It tells her to, to shut up or he's going to knock her one. And she does, finally. But it's kind of interesting. You have these gods and goddesses. They're fighting like little children. Uh, Zeus and Hera, the greatest couple in the universe, can't get along. They don't get along at all. He has to threaten to beat her before she'll shut up. Um, and on Earth, the best couple of all is Hector and Andromache. And Hector and Andromache are very much in love, and they're a very great couple. And, of course, Hector will be, will be killed at the end of the story. So, But anyway, Achilles then decides he will not fight. He will not help the Trojans. And they have the battle. And finally, in the middle of this battle, they somehow decide, okay, this is stupid. Why don't we let Paris and Menelaus, the two guys that wanted Helen, why don't we let them have a single combat? And that would make sense. And so they have a single combat. And Paris throws his weapon first, but his weapon doesn't do much. He's not much of a fighter. He's a lover. He's not a fighter. And uh, Menelaus throws his weapon back and wounds Paris, but it doesn't hurt him. And meanwhile, um, they say, the Greeks say, well, Menelaus has won this because he, Paris didn't do anything. He's won. So why don't you give Helen back? We'll sail away and the war will be over. And that's the way it would have turned out, except that Hera doesn't like that because she wants Troy to be totally defeated. So she gets Athena to whisper in this Trojan's ear, whose name is Pandarus. She says, break the truce and wound Menelaus with your arrow. Shoot an arrow at Menelaus. Break the truce. So he breaks the truce, shoots an arrow at Menelaus, wounds him, and that breaks the truce, and the battle is on again. So the war was almost over, except for that stupid, uh, except for that stupid action. Um, and so uh, the battle rages, but Achilles will not fight. And the war really goes badly for the Greeks. Um, the gods are all out of the war right now. Zeus says, let's all leave them alone. Let them fight. And Zeus really wants the Trojans, but he tries not to get too much into it. 
Uh, and so the war is going, and uh, the Greeks uh, are losing. In fact, they take the battle right up to the Greek ships, and they're just about to burn the Greek ships. Uh, and uh, so Agamemnon decides he, he better apologize to Achilles. So he sends a delegation to apologize to Achilles, offers him his daughter in marriage, offers him some really good gifts. Achilles basically says, nope, not doing it. I'm going home tomorrow. Not doing it. Not doing it. I'm not accepting it. I'm not fighting. That's it. And so his best friend, Achilles, has this very good friend whose name is Patroclus. Patroclus says, I can't let my countrymen lose like this. I've got to go into battle and try to help. So he says, would you give me your armor? He says to Achilles, would you give me your armor? If I go in dressed in your armor, they will think I'm you, and that will give the Greeks courage, and maybe that'll make the Trojans afraid, and maybe then we can keep from burning the ships. And so Achilles says, if you want to wear my armor, you go right ahead, but I'm not doing it. Well, Patroclus goes into battle, does very well for a while until he meets Hector. Remember, Hector is the, is the very noble person, the noblest person in the entire poem. He meets Hector and Hector kills him in battle, in fair fight. Um, there is 4.58. Okay, I'm going to stop right here. And next week we'll continue with the Trojan War. And uh, please do your exercises if you feel like it. Practice singing your carols. Practice going over your ablative. And we'll continue next week.